As a health entrepreneur or intrapreneur, why should you not be taking no for an answer? Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor, where together with my guests, we help you, the entrepreneur or indeed intrapreneur, to improve the health and well-being of the world around us through our ventures. My guest today is Steen Sorensen. I'm really happy to have her here. She's part of the GE Healthcare Edison Accelerator together with Sprite, as you know. Uh, she's co-founder and chief operating officer of Radiobotics, which is on a mission to automate the routine tasks in radiology improving access by alleviating the backlog and improve the diagnostic quality too. So Steen, welcome. Thank you. I'm really, really intrigued to ask you this very first question. I've got quite a few questions I desperately want to ask you. Some of them are personal. Bring it on. So the first one is, you know, um, why shouldn't we be taking no for an answer as, as health entrepreneurs? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good question, but I really think that when you're doing entrepreneurship within the uh, whole health tech area. I think there's so many things to resist. There's so many things to reject. And there's so many things to question really deeply. And But I really believe that new things and, and innovation is only happening through those that actually really want it. And for those that's really keeping, you know, sort of the passion into actually changing this. But in this, on this route and, and in this, I really see that there's a lot of people saying no. So I've sort of tried to sort of develop a way to, you know, not listen to the no's, but listening more to the yes and to those that really want to work with you. And, and I actually don't think it's only in health tech. I think it's in many other areas, but we're just dealing with something where there is also a high risk and we have to be very aware of, of that we are having a huge impact on patients in the healthcare systems. But, but I, I just really think that the industry is much more used to saying no than yes. And so that's why I think it's one of the essential things is actually to try to resist a no. So just to follow up on that though, Steen, I think I, I hear you saying no is just like the most common word. And I, but I'm curious then how as an entrepreneur should we not just ignore it, but actually do something about making that no turn into a yes, hopefully. The thing is that, that you can't turn, I mean, and no, you have to listen to that, right? Because, well, why, why, why is it the immediate answer? No, there you have to be an expert in legal matters. Then you have to be an expert in health data, um, how you say management. Then you have to be an expert in, in sort of AI technology and you have to be an expert in integration and implementation. And then you also have to sort of know the clinical field. So in order to overcome the no, you would have to be, spend a lot of time educating yourself, knowing what you're up against. And there is a saying, that you know you have to know your enemy in order to actually overcome it right and and so in in this case you have a lot of responsibility and you have a lot of things you can do in order to showcase that you are living up to the highest standards and and, and gratefully we have a lot of these within the whole health tech area like the ce marking the fda clearance and all of those things so i think there is a lot of things you can do to mitigate it and and for instance there is a um, i think it came out of the uk there was these eclair guidelines saying how should you actually be purchasing ai technology 
technology for the healthcare system, trying to figure out what is it actually that those guidelines are saying, how can you as a company respond to those? So I think there is a lot of ways that you can actually try to work against the no, but, but obviously you have to come prepared. And that's also why that the not saying no reflects right back at me that I have to work a little harder and I have to actually prove and come with the, the validation to, to the people saying no, right? I want to ask you a personal question now. So, you know, we've been talking offline. I've just seen you come back from a uh, an event in Copenhagen, I think, with Jan uh, for the GE Healthcare Accelerator and, and other things. So, I'm nervous. I've I've all I'm a health physician. I'm a physician, right? So, I'm, I see myself as someone who likes to improve the health and well-being of people through the work that I do in my day job. And I've been doing things on the side that's like intrapreneurial. And sometimes that feels safer, but at the same time, it can be, honestly, it can sometimes be painful because usually it's over and above your regular day job and that is already busy. So it can cause so many problems. Meanwhile, I'm seeing health entrepreneurs have fun, actually have a lot of fun, yet it's stressful. It really is stressful for some of the reasons you mentioned and, and more. What advice have you got for me personally and also the, the audience who will probably be in the same position about those first moments of getting into health entrepreneurship? Well, I mean, if, if I'm looking back on the journey we had at Radiobotics, if you knew and if I knew, I would probably not have done it. Oh, so, so, so the advice is to, you know, sort of, you know, stick to the what you know and how far you come because it, when you when you reflect on it it might it might not be be what you anticipated so so i really think it's about also you know absorbing the present and look at into you know what is the the thing you have to solve right now and what is it the next step will be and then maybe think of the next one two three steps because if you're trying to actually think of all of the things that might happen and that could happen and on all of those things actually not i think it will scare most people away so so really it's it's about focusing on what is it that you need to solve tomorrow and do that really great and then i'm obviously also sure you will solve other problems i mean i can see at radiobotics that every time we overcome something like we just recently got an fda clearance and we've been working wow. so hard for that for invested so much time and the, the whole team has been working on it and then you get it and then you're just like two seconds just like yay and then okay then what what do we have to do now now we have to implement it in the u.s okay what does that require right <laughs> so so it's just like you have all of these small moments where you celebrate but then it's on to the next thing so i also think that, that you should actually stay a little um, naive in the sense of that if you know too much it will scare you away on the other hand as i said before you also have to come prepared so so it's a little bit of a mix of, of both things then i also think i mean you um you as a as a doctor has a has a lot of legacy and i think you have to rest in in that legacy that you have you know where you come from and 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 also the what, what you know and you should also be you know, confident that you also know a lot of things and it takes one to know one, right? So, so I, I think that that is where you start with the confidence and that you actually have a worthwhile problem that you're solving because that will eventually resonate with a, with a few people um, after some time. I mean, when you're doing new things, you also have to sort of build and pave the way towards the change that you're trying to create. But I think if you're a little persistent and if you don't take no an answer as an answer and you don't uh, overthink everything, I think you'll be fine. 
Thank you. No, I really, and I'm sure there's other people out there that it's, it's this honeymoon phase at the beginning. It all sounds exciting. It's great. I've heard what you just said from so many people that have have uh, had conversations with even on this podcast that if only we'd known, we would probably not have gotten into it. You no. know, but but it's also very worthwhile. All the problems aside. Yeah. So let me let me pivot into my next question, which is, you know, you, I've heard you describe the health sector as a high risk but low reward opportunity for startups. So what's the point, really? And can you elaborate <laughs> on what we could be doing to, to overcome that? Well, I guess uh, I think I first time presented this this uh, kind of talk and assumption for Slush, you know, the uh, tech conference in, in Helsinki. And, and obviously you also have to make yourself a little bit interesting. So I guess there's also a little bit of a news factor in this, but, but, but at some point, I really think that if you look into all of the obstacles, like into, you know, how difficult is it to get access to healthcare data? How difficult is it actually for the whole IT side and to implement your technology? And how many no's will you meet before you have to meet before you meet a yes? And how do you actually figure out how you're going to commercialize these things? Because there is not necessarily a business model out there similar to yours that exists yet. So you cannot even prove it because the market is, is, is not even, you know, mature enough for these things. So it's also just to line up all of the obstacles that you have to overcome and telling that it's it's difficult but sort of the conclusion is that because you're solving a worthwhile problem it's okay with the with the low reward as well because as long as you manage to do something you have at least won a lot and and i guess it's it's also just to be a little bit against of what is you know the hype there is in the whole tech industry of you know high risk high reward and you're going to win this in 10x 100x or whatever and and i really think that we should also focus focusing on solving the right problems and that might not have sort of a huge how do you say financial reward but it has a great impact mm. and and i think that's that's the thing last year radiobotics was nominated for the uh, european unicorn award and that's something your investors they like a lot right and and i'm also very proud to even be on that list and consider that we can actually make maybe have a financial impact but what i'm actually most proud of is thinking of that 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 impact we have in the healthcare society might also turn out to be profitable but the first step for me as a founder of the company is knowing that it, we have an impact in terms of how can we solve problems in the healthcare system so actually, that I'm, I'm so happy that you, you said that. And towards the end of this, I'm going to ask you a question about your opinion on problems that need solving. But let me ask you what your story is and what got you into health, because that's not your original background, is it, in terms of your professional or academic training? No, so I'm not, I'm not like you, having a clinical background. So I actually have a background in communication and business administration from Roskilde University. However, I've always sort of been dealing with technology in many aspects. So both in as consultancy, but I've also worked in the pharmaceutical industry. So I, I, I have had a little bit of uh, experience with the health industry. I uh, worked in a global digital department at a company called Dunbeck that's uh, specialized into mental health diseases. And there we worked on introducing a lot of digital tools and, and technologies and, and trying to do things there. That's eight years ago. So I, 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 it's, it's a little outdated on what we did at that time, but at least it's, it's also a little bit of the, the health industry, so to say. Then I've also been working for the last eight years with startups. And I was very fortunate to have another company that I exited to Silicon Valley. And 
that were that it was dealing with camera technology and also pixels and algorithms like what we're doing today just applied in a, in a sort of a medical field um, so I would say that I both have the pharmaceutical and corporate knowledge and also the, uh, the, the technology that we're also doing at Radiobotics. So I think it's a very good fit in terms of, you know, combining two things and then creating a company based on that. You know what? I have to admit, um, the number one, one of the number one, I, I would say the number one, but just for the sake of argument, one of the number uh, top um, ways that we can improve the health sector is through more effective communications. So you've got a very powerful background, professional background. And the other thing that I want to share, uh, you know, people who've watched or listened to previous episodes, I love, I love, and I get a thrill out of working with those from non-clinical and non-health backgrounds who pivot into the health sector for various reasons. So um, I actually think doctors are not necessarily going to make the best health innovators or entrepreneurs really and if we are going to limit ourselves to i was having this discussion with a with a friend and colleague earlier today if we are going to even think about having to have a clinical background there's a lot of bias right now on you have to be a medic you have to be a chief medical officer or whatever there's so much more knowledge and intelligence and creativity and experience and insights in nurses in midwives in physiotherapists in radiotherapists all these other rich uh you know kind of backgrounds and, and it's even not them i've i've often sorry i'm just going off on a tangent no, briefly no. I, I agree with you <laughs> yeah and so uh, and i've also like you know whenever i've as an entrepreneur whenever i've tried to promote innovation within a an, an health organization i've worked in uh, we opened up the doors to anyone and everyone to come forward and in all honesty the best ideas were not tech, even though I love tech and so do you. And the second uh, aspect of it, the source of those ideas were actually from those who you probably wouldn't normally go to. Cleaners, admin staff, you know, people who are there living and breathing what the real problems are, not just me on a, you know, somewhere high yeah. up there thinking. But, but I also think it's those who actually observes the problems. It's yeah, maybe yeah. also those who have met the problems because I think the biggest energy you can bring into innovation and, and also entrepreneurship is those that have faced a problem that like to solve themselves, right? And, yeah. and I also think that functions as the best way to get ideas because if you see something, I mean, who, who else than yourself could change it, right? Absolutely. Let, let's talk about Radiobotics now because that's obviously why I brought you here. Um, what is the specific problem that you're solving and, and how are you helping? Yes. So, I mean, one of the first things as an entrepreneur you have to sort of commit to is to have a focus, right? Mm -hmm. So, so even though you would like to to sort of solve all problems in radiology, you have to start with a very small thing so that you can prove you can do it and then you can probably expand from there. So the problem we're solving at Radiobotics is very specific to uh, limit it to one modality. So we look at x-rays, 2D um, x-rays, and then we look into uh, diseases within musculoskeletal, in the musculoskeletal area. So really very limited to x-rays in the MSK area. And we have chosen this area because there is a high volume of images. There is also, um, how do you say, a, a low risk in terms of that not necessarily all images are very life-threatening. And we really believe that this is the way you should introduce new technology because 
if we can free up some time from the doctors and make them better and faster and maybe more consistent, they can also spend the time on where they're really needed, which is in more, much more acute and difficult settings where technology is not yet good. Because I mean, if a doctor or a radiologist is struggling identifying something in an image, I can promise you my technology will also do it. And, and so in, in that sense, I really think it's a great area to start where, where we have the high volume. The other thing is also, there's actually not that much research coming out of the MSK area. And it's probably because it, most people would like to solve challenges within stroke detection and cancer detection and those within the sort of more complex modalities like CT and MRI. So, so we also think that by actually looking at this area where it's already difficult to recruit radiologists, where it's very, how you say, um, trivial, some of the problems that we are solving is, is also maybe a good way to start introducing the technology. At least that's how we look at it. You can do it in many different ways and, and we're just trying to approach it in a little different way. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, first of all, within the MSK or musculoskeletal, I mean, low back pain is the biggest uh, determinant or burden of disease out there uh, and then we're talking about other joints and, and, and tissues so I want to ask you can you elaborate on what RBNE is about? Yes so the first product that we have developed can detect osteoarthritis in the knees and as, as again it's a, if you're showing this to a radiologist they might see it and they think that's not difficult I mean, I do this, uh, you know, 20 times every day. It takes me two minutes and then we're done. And, and that is exactly the reason why we have chosen to focus on this pathology to begin with is to actually automate something very routine, something you, there is a high volume of, but there is a huge impact if you're getting it, getting it right. And you're probably familiar with, with the whole strategy in the NHS about, you know, getting it right the first time. And that's really what we wanted to prove is if you get the right diagnosis, detecting the exact degree of OA in a knee, then you will also know where to send the patient. Would you send them for pain management? Would you send them to physiotherapy? Or would you even send them for uh, surgery? So, so that's really what we're trying to, to prove and, and, and also obviously introduce a technology that can do this very accurately and also consistent consistently as well. So uh, the, the first product we have is obviously an algorithm that can highlight the clinical findings in the secondary capture, meaning that we have adding an extra image to sort of the, uh, the case. Then we're also adding the report that we have then pre-populated with the clinical findings that we have and also the conclusion um, and that obviously, obviously function as the, uh, as the decision support to then be much more accurate in where where would you actually send the patient? It is still a decision support tool, so it's not fully automated yet. And those in this space also knows that I think there's only a few products that has been approved to this as of yet, and it will require substantial clinical trials in order to get there. So this is sort of the first step, but, uh, but yeah, that's the first product we have. And, and the idea is that we wanna cover around 70% of the skeleton over the next couple of years. Wow. So as I said, we're trying to solve one very small problem and it's not gonna make anybody rich and it's not gonna solve all the problems in the healthcare industry. But with the pipeline we have and the portfolio we're anticipating to build there, I hope we can get a much more uh, substantial impact over time. So if I, if I understand correctly, so the algorithm helps with the detection, the diagnosis and automating the report writing, does it then go that one step further of giving recommendations for the next step in terms of treatments and, and management? 
No, it doesn't because normally the uh, radiologist won't do that either, right? Yeah, the, uh, you're right. The, you're the, right. the sort of the, the clinical findings would be listed and then it would be sent to the sort of uh, the treating physician um, or, or whatever who has ordered the x-ray, right? So, so we're really trying to mirror what the radiologist is doing also because the data we are looking into is only the pixels in the image. So we are not taking any other health data into consideration in terms of the history of the patient, the age and, and, and whatnot of things. So in that way, we don't look at the holistic view yet, but we are only analyzing what we see in the, uh, in the image. You know, one of the, this goes back to my uh, junior doctor years when I first graduated from medical school, I was this is a common experience. I don't know if you've heard this as well, but uh, doctors always kind of immediately before requesting an x-ray or some form of radiological test, always like warming up and getting ready for a fight with the radiologist to convince them, please do this test for my <laughs> patient because yeah. they're busy and, you know, they, so, and they have got the expertise. I'm just curious whether you'll be able to offer some solution for people like me who want to request the test as well in a more automated way. I mean, there, there has to be somebody helping performing the image, right? right. So, so I guess you, you would have to, to wait for availability um, and the, in the radiology department regardless. But I also think that, that looking into how many images are actually required uh, or acquired and, and how many images is, is in the backlog, as, as we talked about uh, earlier also. And, and I think it's, it's, it's also about giving, you know, the right description of those that, that are already there. Yeah. And hopefully then you will also be able to take in and, and take more images, right? So, so I hope it can solve some problems. But I mean, also just to be, you know, 100% transparent around it, we haven't created a technology that solves all of the things yeah, yet. And, and when you go show this to doctors, they actually react a little bit the same like you do. This is great. Can it also do this thing? And I always overlook this thing. And it would be very nice if it also could do this thing. And, and then you sort of have to manage expectations and say, I mean, I just have this thing now, but I have a vision of a great pipeline. <laughs> and you sure probably you also see that when you start your thing is, you oh, know, you, you're up against, you know, you're up against those kind of, you know, big enterprise companies where these departments are always used to, you know, deselecting things of, they can, they can pick hundreds of features, right? And they only need 20. And in this case, you come with one feature and they, they would like to have 20 more. So it's, <laughs> it's the opposite of, of, of those things that, and you have to get used to, you know, all the time saying, I'm very sorry, it can only do this thing, but it does it really well. And I work very hard to get here. <laughs> Um, actually, that's a, that's a good uh, kind of segue into this question that I've always had. You know, entrepreneurs, especially in the health sector, but indeed any sector, one of the biggest challenges we have is gaining adoption of our idea and uh, being able to then scale it later down the line. But I'm curious, what have been your main challenges, either with radiobotics or in general and as a health entrepreneur, and how have you overcome them? Well, I mean, as, as I also already mentioned, there is quite a few, you know, challenges I would say that one of the things that you cannot, I mean, the, the hardest things are those that you can't control. And, and I think there is a challenge right now within the health tech industry is timing because there's so much attention around it. I think of that, you know, every day people are these days, you know, actually thinking around their health, which has put a lot of attention. It's also been invested a lot of money into this area. So there's a lot of things happening, but for us and, and for in general with succeeding with a company, I think the timing is so, it's so much of the essence and which you really can't control. 
And there you have to collaborate so much with the with everybody in the industry, even your competitors, you have to collaborate with those to create the timing. So, so I really see that that's, you know, kind of the one thing that you can't control is, is obviously also the most difficult things. In terms to overcome it, I mean, the, the answer, as I said, it lies within the, the collaboration. And I really think that Radiobotics is a, um, I don't know how to say it, but at least we have shown that by collaborating and surrounding ourselves with really great people, I also think that that's the, maybe the biggest factor in our success because we, we heavily depend on those that is open to discuss new ideas, to challenge what we have, to, to even you know, take the risk of, of testing our, our technology and, and, and do those things. So I, I really think that timing is, is what will make you win, but that you can't control. And in order to mitigate a little bit for that, you just have to collaborate and make sure that you're ready for when the right timing is there, right? You talked about team, by the way, Steen. So by the way, if you're watching, listening, do check out the link in the description below to learn more about Radiobotics. I love your image, uh, you know, the photos of you as the four, <laughs> founder, four founders, right? I got yes, it right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to just share a bit about your team just for the sake of our audience and to learn more about what it is and how you all work together well before I ask you my follow-up? Yes. So, I mean, uh, you're, as a founder of a company, you're always so happy when people want to know more about your team because i mean that is that is the pride that you have and i i always get so happy to see i mean we had the other day uh, the all teams were presenting sort of the what, what they've been working on for this quarter it's the end of the quarter and we were all seeing these things and i, I was just so proud and i was so happy and i was i was thinking to myself like how did how did i you know manage to do these things obviously i don't do it alone not at all but but i was just looking at the team and, and it made me really really happy Happy and very proud of all of the things we're working on. So obviously at Radiobotics, we are four co-founders and me being one of them. The three others is, uh, is if we have our CTO, Powell, who is actually uh, obviously a software engineer. He has a background with autonomous driving. And so he has been working in this field, actually building something, taking it from the lab and putting it into a real setting. So I think that's the greatest skill of our CTO is not only building something that works uh, in the in a lab; it really works implemented out there. And then my my other co-founder, Mess, who is our CEO, he has a background within orthopedics. He's a biomedical engineer, so he has a combination of of the technical side and also of the clinical side, and that brings a lot of value in terms of product development and the strategic navigation. In, in the medical imaging space. And then my, my last co-founder is Martin and he's our chief scientific officer. He has a PhD in medical imaging and machine learning. So Makes he sense. obviously is sort of focusing on the clinical side. So really we have, we have four profiles with four different capacities in the technical side, in the strategic and sort of the product development and in the clinical side. And mine is very much with investor relations, strategic uh, business and, and, and positioning as well. So we really complement each other very well. And I hope, and I, I've said it before that if I should look back at what we did really well at Radiobotics, I would actually say that we, we were four founders with very different backgrounds and there was driving four different agendas. So we could actually have a huge impact when, when we were going out there. Look, personally, I, I just want to, first of all, congratulate you. You guys, I'm, I'm your behind the scenes. I am a fan. I really am. I love what you guys are doing and the way you present and talk about your mission. I, I love this conversation we're having and, 
honestly, I can't wait to celebrate even more of your success as you go forward. <laughs> Radiology desperately needs help from you guys. I mean, there's, you know, the capacity issue in both ways, both for the clinician, the radiologist, and indeed their wider team, but also the backlog. There's a huge burden that uh, I hope you guys can help uh, knock a dent into it. Honestly, it really is great. We'll try. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and when when you're launching your thing, B, we will we can celebrate together. I can't wait. I genuinely can't <laughs> wait. I look forward to that. This is my favorite question now, Steen. So if you were going to, you know, honestly taking this step back, because we all start um, putting barriers and obstacles or we don't have time, we don't have the resources, but let's just put away all limitations. You're guaranteed investment. You're guaranteed adoption. You're going to be a unicorn many times over. Now, if you were going to launch the next startup in the health space spe specifically, what problem would you like to solve? So it's a good question because there are so many challenges to be solved, not only because it's it has to be sort of a problem, but, but you also have to make the whole industry ready for the future. So there will be a lot of things that has to be done. And one of the things that I'm coming back to, and I also sit in these, you know, tech commissions, and I sit on the Danish Competitiveness Council, where we're discussing what should we be living of in the future. And one thing that we keep coming back to is lack of education and knowledge when it comes to new technology. So I really think, and, and if I should do something that would have a huge impact, but that will also have a massive potential would be to identify a way you can educate everybody within the healthcare sector to actually be ready for the future and understand new technology and understand what is it that healthcare data can do and why is it so important and why do we both have to protect it and why do we also have to make it available so that we can make sure that new technology is actually based on, on you know, uh, how you say ground truth data and, and, and it's good and it's good data that we are building technology on so I, I really think that I'd, I'd like to have you know a saying in that and I'd like to have sort of an impact in actually educating the future and making them ready to sort of deal with new technology I don't have a good name yet but I think education would be a key uh, for, for future business I mean, as you know, I'm a big fan of education and that's why I'm doing the Entrepreneur's Doctor. But um, I think one of, the, one of the ways you could kind of kill two birds with one stone is with your outreach, your marketing activities. You could even be focusing on education about the wider need and the opportunities, uh, training and informing clinicians. There's a lot of appetite out there. Mm -hmm. And through that, you get leads for and, already. And there's a lot of unknowns also. So recently, we had a, quite a couple of, of discussions, both with sort of, you know, uh, I would say teaching institutions and medical schools and those things is um, we don't yet know what happened when you, when you train radiologists together with algorithms. Like if they're not just being trained, uh, you know, the old school way, take your eyes, look at an image, what do you see? If we're actually using AI algorithms like ours to train them with, to begin with, what of an impact does that have? Will they become better radiologists or would they become, as some would argue, saying more lazy radiologists because they're used to being shown what it is? And, and I like to sort of think of it as in the old days, when you were starting to have a mechanical calculator, then there was a lot of voices saying that then you would never be able to have it in your head and you would be very lazy to do those things. But today, nobody questions whether you take your calculator and you, and you just you know, calculate whatever you need to, to, to figure out, right? And, and I think this is also the beginning of, this is an easy question to say, 
that they then their eyes will be guided from the beginning and they might not be able to see these things. And maybe in 10 years time, we won't even questioning it. That will just be the obvious thing that when you're educated as a radiologist, you will have all of the algorithms available and it will be the job for you to make the best out of those, right? Couldn't agree with you more. Um, in all honesty, I think giving them the time, as you said at the beginning, to do the more complex uh, you know, issue, dealing with the more complex problems, whether it's diagnosis or indeed therapeutics, it really is opening up that opportunity. I, I don't think there's a problem with, with improving technology. And the, honestly, there's enough, enough, there are enough problems out there that need innovation. And so the world's your oyster, really game on. Let's yeah. do it. Let's we will not it. run out of business anytime no. soon. Be. <laughs> no. Any final words? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to discuss these things. And, and I really think that we, the only thing I'm, I'm thinking of a lot when I'm talking about this, I think that everybody who's in this space, we all have a responsibility to make sure that we build something that solve real problems. And it's not only, it's, it's so easy to say, you know, the healthcare systems, they, they're resistant towards new things and doctors don't want to change the way they work. But I also think that in the end, we also, us making the technology have a huge um, sort of um, opportunity, but also a, 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 a way of putting forward that we also have to do good. I have to do a personal plug now, Steve. Now that you've said that, I can't <laughs> leave. I can't leave and end this episode without <laughs> saying, look, honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. As someone from within the health sector, uh, working in the States, here in the UK and elsewhere, uh, that's my number one problem, I would say. When, I, when I've been on this side of the island, looking at uh, entrepreneurs, innovators come and share their ideas. And I love this. That's my favorite part of the day. I'll be honest with you. There's two problems that I see. Number one, it's that people usually come forward with the technology and start quickly describing what's under the hood. Or I'm going to add a, a third one, or they might come with a pitch deck that is more targeted and suited for the investor as opposed to the clinician or the health sector. And the third one is that, you know, it's, it's often a pitch about the specific problem and solution, which is fine. But as you said earlier, and I think we've been highlighting, it's where does that problem fit with the wider range of problems that that person has, that shopping list that they come to you with additional features? That should be done early on. It's like do a full-on needs assessment. Appreciate where you are. You may still focus on what you're providing, but just be aware of where that sits with the wider issues. And, and that yeah. really helps you get a better understanding for adoption. So the plug is check the link below. <laughs> no, Steen, anything yeah. else that you want to add to that? No, no, I'm just saying I probably didn't, did also the mistakes that you just mentioned, but those you have to do in order to learn and adapt sure. and, and make sure you do right. So yeah, Absolutely. I've done all the mistakes, don't worry.